I do see real applications and use cases in finance, not only potentially on the credit and lending side, uh, but definitely on the side of communications, consumption of information. We have a very antiquated code in the financial infrastructure space, as you well know, and generative AI has the potential to help us transform that code to more modern code. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Syntreg Leaders, coming to you from New York City. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa, and I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital fund that backs early-stage fintech entrepreneurs in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. If you enjoy this conversation, I invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your show so more people can learn about fintech leaders. You can also reach out to me over LinkedIn or Twitter. In this episode, I sit down with Sarah Hammer, Executive Director and Professor at the Wharton School. Sarah has a long history of leading multiple fintech and financial institutions at Wharton in the private sector and also in the public sector. Additionally, Sarah leads the Cypher Accelerator, Wharton's fully remote and non-dilutive accelerator program built to launch the world's leading technology startups. So if you're starting to build a fintech company anywhere in the world, make sure to apply by December 17th. Some of the program mentors include Mark Cuban, Tim Draper, and Charles Birnbaum. In this episode, we discuss lessons from leading the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities throughout the Silicon Valley banking crisis. Wharton's Cypher Accelerator and the types of companies they are looking to support, potential applications, uses, and impact of Gen AI in the financial world, and a lot more. Sarah, it's good to see you. Thank you for joining FinTech Leaders uh, and joining all the way from Philadelphia. Uh, how's everything going? Everything is great. Yeah, it's wonderful to see you again, Miguel. And uh, we miss you on campus at Wharton, but uh, we know that you're doing incredible things and a fintech leader yourself, certainly. So it's really a pleasure to see you and to be back with you. So sorry, how about we get started just by covering a little bit about your background and and your career? Because uh, although you work at Wharton, you don't have the traditional academic background, right? So maybe take us through your story. Sure, Miguel, and thank you again, you know, for the chance to be here today and to talk about the things that we're leading and the programs that we're working with you and others on. So I actually am a Wharton alum myself, as you know, and a Penn Law alum, and I started my career in trading and portfolio management. I was at JP Morgan in New York and then in Tokyo and was trading the credit default swap book for JP Morgan Tokyo during 9-11 which was an incredibly tragic and difficult time. And I was very early in my career then and early as a leader, so a learning experience, certainly. And then I moved to the buy side, to PIMCO, and then later to Vanguard. But in the interim, I got my JD at Penn Law. And so a lot of folks don't know that. I went to law school um, with a family and was fortunate to have some great opportunities while I was there clerking and interning in court. And then 
subsequently going back to asset management. Uh, then I, in 2016, uh, received the opportunity to go to United States Treasury in financial institutions policy. Uh, and I was honored and pleased to be able to do that and ultimately became uh, acting deputy assistant secretary for financial institutions. So oversaw three offices simultaneously, financial institutions policy, the office of critical infrastructure protection, which is the cybersecurity office, and then the federal insurance office, which includes the terrorism risk insurance program. So that was a big responsibility. I had an outstanding team and uh, really just an honor to be able to work at Treasury and to serve the country with so many incredible, knowledgeable, professional uh, civil servants at at Treasury. And then subsequently returned to Wharton to work with the private equity venture capital program, which I think may be where I met you when I was there. And then when I uh, had the opportunity to launch and lead the Stevens Center for Innovation and Finance focused on financial technology. So I was very pleased to be able to do that as well and expand uh, the school's work in financial technology to think about um, how technology is changing finance. And then more recently was on a short-term leave of absence from Wharton to serve as Secretary of Banking and Securities here in Pennsylvania, which was a, a great responsibility and an honor as well. Uh, and I led the department through the banking crisis this past March with responsibility for more than 290,000 financial entities, uh, including banks and non-banks and asset management. And then now I'm you know, very pleased to be back at Wharton uh, as executive director leading strategic initiatives and also back on faculty at Penn Law. I'll be teaching uh, alternative investments in the spring. So I'm happy to be here and uh, just really grateful for the opportunities I've had in my career. There's a lot that we can talk about, Sarah. Let's first talk about all the initiatives going on at Wharton and I guess at Penn as well about the future of finance, because that that's really your domain. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the question, Miguel. And I I have to say, I think it's your domain as well, as a fintech leader yourself and uh, as a founder and the chief executive of a important financial technology venture capital firm. Uh, but there's really two things I think to focus on right now. Although I would say thinking about the future of finance is really integrated across the school. So one is that, as you know, a couple of years ago, we founded a corporate accelerator program called Cypher Accelerator that was founded as a blockchain-based accelerator. So we invited companies to join the accelerator that were using blockchain really end-to-end, not necessarily crypto-native companies, but for example, using blockchain for supply chain management and healthcare using blockchain for tokenization of real assets, anti-fraud, for example, and ran a really successful, innovative program. It was 10 weeks, 60 workshops, many, many partners supporting us and collaborating with us in that program. And then the accelerator ran again this past spring. Uh, I now have the great fortune to be working to expand and elevate that program uh, beyond blockchain to all financial technology. So We are focused on artificial intelligence this year, which is an area that I have been deeply involved in as well through board work at the UN and uh, in my academic work as well. But the other thing I want to emphasize about the Accelerator, aside from the fact that it's very successful at identifying great companies, building communities, scaling those companies. In fact, 
our two small cohorts have an estimated cumulative post money valuation of more than $2 billion, which I think is a, a great accomplishment. Um, and we can't take all the credit for that, but we, we're certainly pleased to be able to work with those companies that came to us in very early stages. But what I wanted to emphasize is the students. So the accelerator program uh, is led by me with a team of students and student leaders. Uh, we have an incredible student leader this year, Swarth Reddy, who's team leader, team manager, uh, and really overseeing all aspects of the program. And then we have a number of other students that work as professionals for this organization. It's run as a professional organization. We are institutionalizing it as a professional organization. And they each have roles ranging from technology to marketing. We are building a tech innovation hub. The team actually just recently announced the launch of a sustainability initiative with nonprofit partners and the CDFI network and also a financial inclusion initiative. So we'll be working with others to think about how we can leverage financial technology for inclusion purposes. So it's a really special, high-performing, supportive, collaborative culture. And I'm, I'm really proud of the, the people who are in the program and those who have graduated as well. Yeah, I remember always thinking, you know, Wharton is synonymous with finance, right? And so there's no reason why Wharton should not be leading the next iteration of the financial world. And and so it all makes sense. Tell us a bit more about this future classes for Cypher. Have you started taking applications? Maybe entrepreneurs tuning in, they could start applying. Ideally, what kind of company are you looking to get involved Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked, Miguel. So we did recently open applications. And if those entrepreneurs are interested, please go to our Cypher website, which I'll add was actually also designed and built by student leaders. So it's cypher.wharton.upenn.edu. You'll find a lot of information about our incredible team, our senior advisors, who, as you know, include leaders like Mark Cuban and Tim Draper and senior partners from many of the top venture capital firms around the world, our team of mentors uh, that include a lot of Wharton and Penn alums, and then our two cohorts, uh, both uh, in 2022 and then this year, and how those companies have gone on to great successes. So please go to the website. You'll find the application portal there as well. And uh, we will have applications open until about mid-December. I would say that we look at many of the things that other venture capital or accelerator programs look at when they evaluate prospective early stage companies. We're stage agnostic. Uh, so everything from you know product market fit, strategy, uh, what does the team look like, revenue projections. But the thing that we really focus on, which as you know, Miguel, is difficult, is looking at the leadership of a company. And I personally think that's the most important ingredient because as you know, an entrepreneur yourself, you never know what the road looks like when you're launching and leading a company and things will change, the market will change, there will be things within your control and without of your control. And it's really about what's your commitment, what's your agility, are you learning agile as well as uh, factors change for the company. So. We spend a lot of time interviewing and talking to the leaders 
And then just looking at the factors that will influence their decision-making going forward. I think the other thing that we think about that I'm very proud of is what does the cohort look like? So we are stage agnostic. And in our first cohort, for example, we had everything ranging from pre-seed to series E. And, uh, we, you know, we asked ourselves, does it make sense for a late stage company to join the accelerator? And what will it mean, you know, for the kind of attention we can pay to an early stage company if we're taking later stage? And ultimately, what we felt was that that particular cohort and those founders would actually help each other. There'd be synergies and cross-pollination. And we found actually cross-mentoring of the more experienced later stage companies to the early stage companies. And I think it worked out extremely well. We had a, a very collaborative, supportive cohort that um, enjoyed working with each other and they're still in touch with us and they're doing extremely well. So I think it goes back to people. And I know that's not a finance answer. It's not mathematical, but I, I really do think it's the most important ingredient in identifying who's going to be successful. Sarah, one thing that you are spending a lot of time working on and then thinking on is how is the future finance curriculum is going to look like? And, and I love that because whatever you implement at Wharton, has a huge chance of kind of percolating throughout the system. I think this is fascinating. Tell us more about that. Yeah, thank you so much for asking the question, Miguel. I'm actually just the day after our Future Finance Forum at the Wharton School. So this is a new initiative, uh, which I have been fortunate to lead since returning to Wharton from my leave of absence. But it's really all about the entire school and all finance and research centers. So Future of Finance Forum is an event that we curated with leaders in different areas of finance and technology from around the world. And we just held a one and a half day in-person event at Wharton with those leaders. And the topics that the leaders tackled in their roundtables, both public and private Chatham House rule, ranged from banking liquidity and the new financial ecosystem to digital assets, to artificial intelligence in finance, digital payments and consumer protection, for example, and then money and energy. So there were a lot of important discussions, both in the panels and in the public events, as well as outside of those events, just organically taking place throughout the day. And then we were really fortunate to have a number of wonderful leaders join us for keynotes. So Richard Sander joined us for a keynote fireside chat on his career and his experience. And uh, you may know he invented and launched the interest rate futures contract. He invented and launched carbon trading. He founded a company that provides an alternative short-term interest rate to the London Interbank offered rate, which as you know, Miguel, is the important short rate that all of us traders and financiers use throughout the financial sector um, and a number of other things. And Richard talked about creating a market and what it takes to create a market and who has collaborated and how it was important to bring in stakeholders and doing that. And then the other thing I thought that was really great is he talked about what his failures were. And uh, we noted, you know, all of us have failures and it's about believing that you will fail, but you will learn from that 
and you will get back up and you will move forward. And it was, I think, very heartening for the other leaders in the room to hear that conversation from someone so highly accomplished. You know, Richard was named Time Hero of the Planet, and he was also named Time's Hero of the Environment in his career. So there are a lot of words of wisdom there. And then uh, I was fortunate to lead a fireside chat with the three former chairmen of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, together for the first time. So Chris Giancarlo, Tim Massad, and Heath Tarbert were all together for a discussion about leadership and the CFTC. And the piece of that conversation I thought was really, really nice was their discussion about collegiality and the collegial culture of the agency. And uh, as you know, Miguel, that's something I believe in strongly. You know, we are in times where uh, there's a lot of contentiousness in the policy space and, and outside the policy space as well. And so it was nice to hear from these leaders about how important collegiality is for them and at the agency and and setting the tone on that really i think is critical yeah no absolutely absolutely what would you expect to be the work that comes out of this forum for the next year what was your goal well i hope we'll have you involved with this uh, i have to say that as well uh but the forum was really the launch of our future of finance initiatives working across finance and research centers. And and we have many excellent centers at Wharton, as you know, in the finance space. We have uh, the initiative on uh, policy and financial regulation. We have the Jacobs Levy Center for Quantitative Equity Research. We have the Stevens Center for Innovation and Finance, Harris Program for Alternative Investments, and the Rodney White Center. And it was actually our intention in creating this forum to have it be the launch of an ongoing discussion and collaboration between our partners. So our hope and our plan is to create a community of these leaders who joined us in person for the event and to be a a focal point for discussion for them, to integrate them into our program, and then to magnify that and to amplify it and uh, create it in multitudes. So there will be other roundtables and events. We will be elevating thought leadership following the forum. The public events will be elevated on the website, wartonfuturefinance.com. And we will also have uh, written summaries of the Chatham House rule events that are consistent with Chatham House rules. So high level themes from those events. And then I've already seen people, you know, begin conversations in our various discussion spaces about how they're so excited because they met each other for the first time at the forum. And I I think that's really important for us to be thinking about, you know, what does finance curriculum look like five years from now? How do students like to learn? What does the industry want to be engaged in? What are the pain points? Anybody who knows me knows I always ask that question. What are your pain points? And I ask it because I think it helps us think about what's the way forward in a positive way. And that's what we will be doing at Wharton is thinking about how can we use financial technology in a positive way? How can we support our students and our communities? Um, And how do people want to learn? I think the way that we learn, whether it's through in-classroom learning, remote learning, you know, other digitized experiences, I think that will change over the next five to 10 years and Wharton will be at the forefront of it. Sarah, you had a very interesting time at Pennsylvania's Department of Banking and Securities. To the extent that you can kind of share a little bit of that time when we experienced 
like a mini banking crisis at the mm-hmm. beginning of this year. Maybe share a little bit about that experience, but also tell us what's going on in just the U.S. banking sector. It was a a very difficult and stressed period for the banking sector and financial services. As you well know, as a, a leader and a venture capitalist yourself, we had extreme stress experienced by SVB, uh, primarily due to interest rate sensitive exposures long term in their portfolio. And then they sold those securities at a loss. They were unable to compensate with a private raise. And when word get out, a lot of venture capitalists and their portfolio companies moved their money out of the bank. And uh, there were other regional banks that were involved or experienced stress that was similar. But it's interesting, each bank had a different business model. I've studied those business models. So SVB, you know, was a, a VC related bank, signature bank in New York, um, had a very large private clientele, for example. First Republic in California uh, was a different kind of bank as well. Regional banks was the focus and they continued to be. And as you know, um, Miguel, the ability to get liquidity, to get your deposit out during that time, the really the run on the banks was extremely difficult for so many people, for thousands of people and, and founders around the country. And it showed how broken aspects of our system are. I think that we live in a world of accelerated liquidity due to digital banking and social media. And I say that because I think it's important for us to recognize it and prepare for it. And I think that we won't be able to put, you know, social media back in the box. But what we can do, and actually what we're doing at Wharton as part of our innovation programs and through our accelerator is building a large language model to look at how social media chatter may affect or amplify bank runs. So I think it's important for us as leaders and policymakers to be ahead of the curve on these issues. I know there are many good leaders in the regulatory agencies thinking about it, but I don't think the issue will go away. And in fact, we're going to see regional banking uh, stress potentially over the next two weeks as they report earnings. You know, when I was leading the department, the department has responsibility for banks non-banks, asset management companies and advisors, 290,000 such entities in total and a large amount of assets under management. And, you know, we really mobilized and put plans in place and we had to think about, you know, what could come next. And I think uh, that that's a situation where it's important to remain calm and to be in strong communication with your team uh, and to clearly communicate. And, you know, from my experience as a trader and portfolio manager, I think that really assisted me in being in that leadership role at the time. Before I, I let you go, Sarah, you have mentioned how important AI and just all the new large language models we're seeing, how important that's become in the financial sector, in fintech. You know, immediately after I talked to you, I'm sitting down with a very interesting entrepreneur who is using LLMs for a very, very real, very specific purpose. So this is not hype. Tell us what you're seeing from your end. So I, I've been in, involved with AI for some time. And in fact, in our first cohort at Cypher, we had two AI-based companies. I'm the co-chair of an international expert consortium on AI that just won five years of sustaining funding for global research and thought leadership. And then I sit on the oversight board for the International Telecommunications Union at the UN, which oversees standard setting for many different connectivity-related things. I am seeing AI everywhere. And I think 
you know, as with any emerging technology, there are real applications and use cases, and then there are not real applications and use cases. And it's important to distinguish between the two. I do see real applications and use cases in finance, not only potentially on the credit and lending side, uh, but definitely on the side of communications, consumption of information. We have a very antiquated code in the financial infrastructure space, as you well know, and generative AI has the potential to help us transform that code to more modern code. So, you know, that's kind of the plumbing of the financial ecosystem, but I think those are very exciting potential opportunities. And then I think from, you know, from a financial inclusion perspective, data, access to data, governance, things like model transparency and fairness and how we create models. Those are all things that I've got my eye on and am very involved with. Um, and I think it's really important that we move forward rapidly and with curiosity, a learning mindset, um, but also a real sense of responsibility about how this technology can be used responsibly in the financial sector. Last question, Sarah, is there something that we've forgot to talk about that you'd like to highlight? What I would like to highlight actually is something about you, Miguel, uh, which is you and your work, you know, the globalization, I think, of financial technology is something that I think when, you know, sometimes we forget when we're in one locale, but uh, focusing on what's happening with technology around the world in places like Brazil, for example, is so critical for us. In fact, you know, I had the opportunity to meet the head of PICS the other day in Washington, D.C., and we talked about the payment system in Brazil and just the vast amounts of money that are being transferred through that system. You know, around the world, there's great innovation taking place in Singapore, for example, through the monetary authority and use of distributed ledger technology to clear and settle FX transactions, for example, you know, and then the regulatory framework. We are in an interconnected world, whether folks are aware of that or not. I would like to see the U.S., you know, push forward and be policy leaders in this space. But I think for us as entrepreneurs, it's important for us to know that the world is interconnected. And in some ways, we have a responsibility to really be cognizant of that as we think about how we want to craft our place in that world. Sarah, thank you again for joining. Always exciting to kind of hear what's going on on campus. And I'll make sure to visit very soon. Well, congratulations to you, Miguel, and all your successes. Thanks for having me today. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Sarah from Wharton. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. If you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.